Hello and welcome to the Unappreciated Carer podcast with me, your host, Adam. Uh, this week I'm speaking with Alison Treacher. Alison has been a Unite member and a member of a union for a very long time. Uh, and So we, this week we're going to be hearing about the victories she's had with her union and what that's meant for all of us. And also uh, what we, what can we do to sort of take part in um, in in that uh, fight to sort of for better employment and fairer pay. Uh, so yeah, have a listen and let me know what you think. So, uh, hi, Alison. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. Thanks, Adam. Nice to be here. Nice to chat with you. Good. Um, so, uh, would you mind um, giving us a little bit of background on yourself and sort of what it is that you do and what you have done? Okay. Um, so, I work in social care. I've worked in social care most of my adult life. Um, I've worked in residential care homes, 24-hour supported accommodations. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I work for a, a national mental health charity, and we provide 24-hour supported accommodations uh, across the Northwest. Um, yeah. I'm a senior practitioner there. Um, yeah, so I've worked in care homes a lot. I'm also uh, the secretary of the Unite uh, Greater Manchester Social Action Branch. So yeah. we represent charity workers over Greater Manchester. Um, and at the moment, we've been super busy, obviously, because <laughs> yeah. a lot of our members work in care homes in, in, and in social care and care across, uh, across the board, really. Lots of different job titles. So how has that been sort of impacted? Because that's what I sort of really wanted to speak to you about was sort of the union side. Because like, like I said, it's, uh, I've worked in care for sort of 10, 11 years now. I've never been approached by a sort of a union to be part uh, of one. And I haven't, um, and I've never really considered it. It's just not been something that I've ever been aware of. So what are the benefits, what are the benefits of a sort of unionised workforce within a care home? Um, so unionised workplaces are safer workplaces and they uh, workers in unionised workplaces uh, tend to receive higher pay and better terms and conditions because what a union is really is a collection of workers coming together as a united voice to go to their management and say this is our problems, this yeah. is what we need to talk about, this is what we need to negotiate with um now there are obviously there's more to it than that because um so for example my union is a general workers union so they have workers um from construction from um care uh, in health in local government and so you know we can come together at a kind of bigger level as well to discuss you know what what issues affect, affect workers as a, as a unit. So obviously we have concerns in the care sector at the moment, uh, PPE, yeah. um, sick pay, um, which, you know, for the furloughed workers who are in my union are not going to be an issue at the moment. But because there's, um, you know, there's over a million people 
uh, in Unite. And when we come together with a united cause standing alongside each other, that amplifies uh, amplifies our struggle. That amplifies the issues. So you know, it's really important to be in a union at a workplace level, so you can discuss with your colleagues, come together and challenge management, um, and work with management as well to improve the terms and conditions uh, in your workplace. But it's also important, you know, as as workers to come together and say, well, hang on a minute, this is affecting us. And, you know, this pandemic has has brought those issues to the forefront even more. So it's yeah. very obvious that we need a united voice now. So I think that people are getting more interested in unions, which is wonderful. I think the the big big point that I agree with most of all is the the coming together. Is that is that's that's the that's the bit where we, you can't you can't win on your own. You you know I I can sit here and sort of say you know what I really I cannot tell you how passionate I am about a real living wage and actually better than a real living wage. But you know but um and and you, and you can do the same. But it's only with a huge group of people coming together where you're actually going to get any government to listen. That's just you know that's just the way it is, isn't it? But um, a- absolutely. So yeah, uh, hopefully unions unions hopefully will help sort of formalise an argument and actually sort of put it you know in a constructive way. But um, but yeah, no. Um, so what what have been the be- you know from your experience, what's been the best thing of you know being part of the union? What have, what's been achieved where you're like, wow, I'm I'm proud that I was part of that. Um. Okay. So I'm going to talk. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples from in yep. my workplace and then I'll go to branch level and yep. then I'll have a look at, uh, you know, the union as a whole. Yep. Um, so in my in my workplace, um, just throughout this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we've had some victories. Now, those victories might sound small to many, but, you know, to my, myself and my colleagues, it makes a real difference in our lives. Yep. So... Um, at the moment, those in the probationary period, uh, which is quite a lot at the moment because we know in care there's a high turnover of yep. workers. Um, it's hard to keep and retain workers in care. So, you know, we've got quite a few colleagues in their probationary period who were entitled to absolutely no sick pay. So if they went off with COVID-related um, symptoms or had to self-isolate, you know, at, at the start of the pandemic, they would get nothing. Then the government are, are like, you know, said SSP, uh, statutory sick pay from, from day one. But £95 a week is not going to pay your rent. No. It's not going to pay your bills. Um, you know, and if you've got kids, I just don't know how people are surviving, to be honest. Um, you know, I won't quote the, you know, um, the facts about poverty in this country, but I can guarantee a lot of them are women and a lot of them are carers who are struggling through this crisis. Um, So, you know, the first thing we said to management was, hang on a minute, Um, if you do not give those workers full sick pay, they are going to be tempted to come back into work and they are going to potentially come to work symptomatic. Or they could, um, and they can spread that to the people that we care for, but also us. And that is not safe. And you are putting us at risk due to not giving those people, um, you know, full sick pay. So um, we took this to management and we, we, you know, we put across the arguments. 
a day later came out that those workers got a month's full sick pay um, and uh, an extra um, month's half sick pay. Now, you know, that's not going to change the world, but it will change those workers' lives and it will keep the people that we care for safer because we can guarantee that nobody's coming to work because they're worried to pay their bills. So that's just like one of the, the small victories that we've had in our workplace recently. But, and, but you say, and you say about the small victories, and, but it's the small victories, it's an amalgamation of small victories that's going to be like, you're not going to, you're not going to uh, create an argument and just suddenly everyone's getting paid 15 pounds an hour, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's slowly, slowly catchy monkey, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's it, it is, you know, the little victories. Is. Yeah. It is the little victories. And you know what? Those little victories make a big difference in people's lives. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really when there's so many problems in our sector, it's really easy to overlook our victories. And it was a victory. And, you know, as soon as that came out, we were fighting back. And as a collective, you know, so people felt like they can win. They can change. You know, we don't have to take these terms and conditions. We do have power because sometimes in our sector, you know, we can feel really powerless to the decisions of management, we feel really powerless decisions of, uh, you know, the government. You know, it feels like we're right at the bottom, just like holding it all together. Yeah. So, you know, those, you're right. Those victories are important. You're setting precedent as well. You know what I mean? Like, so you've, you've created an argument, you've won an argument, and now somebody in another home can say, well, these people made this argument, they won. You know, you're, 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 you're giving people the best chance of winning on the back of your s small victory, you know, so it's... Abs a, absolutely. And yeah. I hope, you know, and, and, you know, there's nobody out there, you know, the mainstream media, you know, nobody's saying, actually, care workers are winning. We always kind of get painted as victims, victims mm. of our own profession, almost. Um, and so it is important to say to, you know, care workers, we can change this and we have the power to do something different. Um, and I think at a branch level, so that's a kind of victory just in our workplace recently, um, at a branch level, um, Unite, uh, the Greater Manchester Social Action Branch, um, came to an arrangement with um, Manchester City Council to um, act as a mechanism um, for the terms and conditions set by the ethical procurement policy of that council. So the ethical procurement policy basically says real living wage, no zero hour contracts, good uh, terms and conditions, um, uh, you know, rights at work, recognised trade unions. And so the thing is, it's very nice that these local authorities have these policies. But if there's nobody saying, hang on a minute, this organisation isn't doing that. We need you to speak to that organisation. If you're using public money to procure those services, to, you know, win those tenders, you need to make sure that those are ethical and, you know, your workers are protected and they're on good wages or, or yeah, in good wages and they're not being exploited at work. So, you know, our branch managed to come to an agreement with Manchester City Council that if we came across any employers breaching these uh, terms and conditions, we can go to those workers and, you know, go straight to the funders. Does that make sense? It's that quite, you know, it's, it, yeah. It, it seems like a, a, a very unions, uh, you know, sort of like, to be honest, it's not been something I even knew of, to be honest. But and what Obviously, there's a lot going into hopefully educating um, employers and, you know, and giving them someone to answer to and, to, and making and holding them to account. 
is there anything being done to sort of to sort of push uh, care workers or you know so anyone within the unions to understand like you said about zero hour contracts there to, trying to understand okay these are your rights with a zero hour contract I, I meet people all the time um they're you know sort of zero hour contracts and you know for me I, I i believe that they have a place in terms of like i was an agency worker for a long time and you know and um you know i've employed people with with, with these things but you know it's a, it's about how they're used and it's and it's um you know you're you can you are not obligated to do anything and you are not you know as the employer and as the worker and workers are not educated about that you can say yes or no to everything and they're held they're held to you can do this and employers want to have their cake and they want to eat it they want to not guarantee you hours but they want to make you work and it's and that's not how they work and you know mm. there's an element of educating people to say these are your rights you know and and so that people are able to stand up for themselves but you know sort yeah, of not everyone yeah. looks into it so but yeah i, I just want is there yeah, anything being done to educate workers or um yeah I mean, I, I think so. I think that, you know, there's lots of information coming out from various unions. I think that the union line, because you mentioned rights uh, with zero hour contracts, and I think that's where we might disagree a bit, because I don't think you have many. Uh, you know, yeah, you have a choice, but if you, you know, is that choice a right? Um, and so, you know, I would always advocate for, a, a, you know, a short term contract. Mm. So at least you're guaranteed, you know, those employment rights around sick pay, around, you know, a pension, uh, you know, around those things that are quite short term. You know, we don't think about those things mm. short term. A lot of, you know, women just go, oh, right, you know, that's like £10 an hour. But then like down the line when you when, you know, we're all going to need state pensions, you haven't been paying in. So, you know, I think in terms of zero hour contracts I'd always advocate for short term like much shorter contracts so like you know a minimum of 16 hours but going back to your point in uh, education yeah absolutely I think unions are trying to educate um, I think that there's been a, you know uh, um, some great materials coming out from different unions in the sector I think Unison have put out some really great uh, fact sheets around COVID-19 your rights uh, in my own union Unite they've really concentrated on um, health and safety and, and the law and you know if you do not feel safe to go to work then you can use section 44 of the employment um, act uh, 1996 uh, and then you know that allows you the law is on our side if you feel unsafe you do not do that work and you negotiate and you talk with your your manager about it that's another reason why you just need trade unionists in your workplace because health and safety reps have like additional rights and legal standings within the workplace and, and management have to negotiate with those people. So, um, you know, in terms of the law, I think there's been some great education coming out from the unions, great fact sheets. They've also provided us return to work kind of um, COVID checklists. Yeah. So from, from driving up to your workplace and parking, you know, that from there we need to think about a pandemic. Yeah. Can you social distance from that stage, you know? And if you're not driving up to work, how are you getting to work? How can we keep you safe? Yeah. So, you know, it's those sorts of things that, you know, trade unions and trade unionists think about, you know, and, and in care we do too, you know, risk assessing. That's the half our job, right? Um, yep. 
Yeah, but normally the risk assessments, you know, the, the main emphasis of a risk assessment is the people that we support as opposed to the worker. And, and, and we, need a, we need to focus that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so obviously there's been a lot of pros and, and you've had some small, some small victories, which I, I, I would just call victories, but, you know, because they're they're <laughs> they all come to the bigger picture. Um, but ha has there been um, any sort of challenging experiences as a union member with employers? You know, I imagine there's got to be, you know, some, some, some challenges there. So what, what, what have they been? Yeah, um, I think there's challenges with the employer. I think that there's challenges... Um, you know, being a trade unionist is hard work, yeah. you know, um, of course you can be a member of the union, but you know, we shouldn't be thinking about being a union member as a passive thing. Yeah. You know, we are the union. So the more that we get involved, the more that we come together, the more that we organize, the more that we communicate, the better our victories. Yeah. So, you know, you don't join a trade union to be saved by the union. You don't use it as an insurance policy. You use it as something to organize. And, you know, in care, we do hard work. Yeah, uh, yeah, our profession is tough physically, mentally, and then putting organization on top of that can be a challenge as well. So in terms of, you know, the emotional side of, of being a trade unionist, that can be difficult. Now, you mentioned, is it difficult with an employer? Absolutely. You know, um, going into a meeting where, you know, you've got five people who all earn about five times your salary and saying, you know, we want more. This is what our members think, you know, and and we're not afraid. But, you know, I need to, you know, pay my bills. I need to do all those things. Um, and, you know, making those negotiations can be um, difficult because what you're doing is expressing very different points of view uh, in, in that room. Um, and that can be challenging. Fortunately, we have, you know, a fierce um, regional officer who is a paid Unite worker who comes and sits with us and says, well, hang on a minute. You know, this is important here. Um, so, you know, we do have backup from the Central Union, um, but it can be challenging. And, and also um, negotiating the different opinions within your membership can be difficult because it's a real um, challenge of facilitation. And, and that can be difficult at times because we all have very different opinions, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, when I, because I, obviously I have been part of the union, but when I try and think, I try and put myself into that position, right? Let's say I'm a, I'm a care worker, I'm working in the care home, who it's, it's, uh, I'm the first one to join the union. I've been inspired and I've, I've, I've joined the union, but I'm the only one and, I'm, and I want to be active. It's then trying to sort of, because you're very emotionally involved, aren't you, in, in terms of like, well, you're fighting for your own rights. So it's then time to put that message across um, sort of professionally to try and engage in a, a sensible negotiation without, without um, letting you know, those frustrations, because they are going to challenge you on it, letting those frustrations to take over. It's got to be a, it's got to oh, be a yeah. real challenge. It's got to be a real challenge. Absolutely, absolutely. Being measured and being balanced, being yeah. fair um, and communicating clearly are all, you know, really important skills. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, if you were in a care home and you were just that one worker who's heard about a union, can see the changes that could be made, what I would do, the first thing is speak to your colleagues. Because mm -hmm. as we've discussed, no man is an island. Yeah. What we need is a collective response. So even if you get 
four, five of your mates who you normally have a moan with having a brew together and say, right, let's join a union as four of us and let's go and get help from my local branch to make things different. But it's about that collective. And unfortunately, as you know, lots of, you know, my kind of uh, peers and colleagues say to me there's no shortcuts Alison you've got to put in the hard graft to make sure you make those arguments to your colleagues um, because there's no just springboarding to management because it makes you look worse in in the the end really yeah Um, and then uh, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier about sort of the 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 real living wage and I think I might even have said to you before a sort of a, a a previous meeting that you held had about sort of the national living wage is um 60 percent of the average uh uk earnings which i think the average mm. uk earnings is five four five and you know so and so most care workers are a national living wage but certainly not all um but you know but um Ooh. and they're, they're, but um 59 percent is you're considered to be anything lower than 59 percent of the average wage you're considered to be in relative poverty so it doesn't impress me that one percent over that is you know is the okay from sort of any any government really um so the real living wage is sort of nine pound 30 and that's only still 64 percent of the average wage you know what do you think why do you think it is that care workers and key workers because many are on national living wage are, are valued so little and compared to the the average wage well that's a big that's a big question um i think that you know our society has been kind of conditioned to value um work which is um, not socially necessary. You know, I think that we aspire or, you know, society wants us to aspire to be bankers and, you know, people actually, you know, harm the environment uh, as opposed to, you know, your day-to-day work and labour, which is socially necessary. I just think that, you know, this government and previous governments have actually said, you know, that's not necessary. That's not important work you know um that's that that's not valued now i think that the pandemic has turned that on its head because now we are the workers who have to go to work because without us the world won't turn you know we're the ones getting up saying well we have to go to work there's absolutely no question. Of course we're going to work. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, the very people that we care for, you know, um, the most vulnerable are going to be left behind. So um, I think that yeah, Andrati Roy um, described this uh, this pandemic as a portal, um, a way to, um, you know, a way to navigate um, to a different kind of world. Because yeah. what we've done is shine a light on the most important work. Yeah. And I think it's so important at the moment to um, keep uh, that in the forefront of people's minds that, you know, we do the most important work. There is nothing more important during a pandemic than saving and sustaining life. Yep. That's it, you know, and there is no way, and these workers have been exploited for yep. so long. Um, I also think that the reason why um, we get paid so poorly is because um, a lot of this work is women's work which has always been, you know, uh, devalued. Um, So I think something like, bear with me, I have a statistic here. 
Um, yeah, so uh, on of the full-time work, uh, workers working high-risk jobs during this pandemic, uh, 98%, um, no, three-quarters of those, so over 75% of those are women. Of those full-time workers working in the high-risk jobs um, and being paid poverty wages, as, as you highlighted, 98% of those are women. Yeah. 98% of those on the front line of the pandemic are women in, and the majority are carers, carers, um, uh, child care assistants and, and pharmacists, actually, that, that, yeah. but the majority are carers. It's because this is women's work. It's because this, this um, social reproductive labor, so labor that doesn't create profit for bosses, mm. but, um, you know, sustains the world. It's just not seen as important to, I'm, and I'm sorry, I don't want to get political, but to the Tories, they do not value this work. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't think, you know, any government that's since 1945 and probably before, you know, has ever valued that work. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this time is critical yeah. for society to say, hang on a minute, is this the way that we want to be run? Is these, are these the values that we hold close to us? Um, because I don't think it should be. And I don't think if everyone really asks themselves uh, the question, what's more important to you? You know, Richard Branson's, you know, uh, 50th home or, you know, the health and well-being of the people who cares for my nan. <laughs> you yeah. know, these, these, are, these are the contradictions that we're kind of working in at the moment. I, I, I think our empathy is used against us. I think that's the, that's often, I think that's, that's uh, how they justify, because if we don't, you know, that's how they justify paying as little. It's, 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 because if, if we don't, we know if we don't go to work, who's going to go care for these people? And, you know, so, and, and, and therefore they, 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 you know, that's, that's the, that's the barrel that, 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 that they hold us over, Um, you know, so. I agree. I agree. And I also think that we internalize that. So the amount of times, you know, when I, I mean, I've worked in care for nearly like 15 years and said, and you know, the amount of times I've had said to me, but Ali, we don't do this because of the money. We do this because we care. And it's just like, well, I do do it's because I care, but I shouldn't go home to struggle as well. You know, my life isn't just uh, a struggle to keep rich people rich, <laughs> you know, there's and I do think they use that against us. There's a, there's a guilt trip in that. And I've felt it for, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's, there's a, there's a guilt trip in that, which is just, you know, completely wrong because we're all, we're at the same time, yeah. we, we're going to, we're also going to work because we have families and we have to, you know what I mean? Like to be, to be at 60% of the average, and, it, that's the crazy thing is that we're even having this conversation and thinking like god the the average uk wage that's that would just be un, unbelievable to get the average um you, you, you know that the fact that that's the conversation is is an absolute disgrace uh you know yes. and that you know and that so yeah i mean that that's that, that's something I, I do think it's it's a very you know uh moving to the real living wage is great because it's a step forward it's 64 percent of the average but it's by no means that's that's one of the small victories to get the real living wage is not the end goal to get the you know to to be to be paying key workers the an average wage that's the that's the that's the goal because no one's asking to no one's asking to deliver care and be rich everyone people just want to be just comfort that's all people are asking for 
So, you know, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. And I think that we need to shake off, you know, that internalized guilt of we can't ask for anything as carers because all we're there is to like, you know, look after others. And we need to recognize that, take that and turn that into anger <laughs> because yeah. anger is because we should feel angry. You know, um, if you're a care worker, you are twice as likely to die during this pandemic because of the job that you do. Now, we should be angry that people aren't getting the correct PPE. We should be angry that people are still going to work on minimum wage. And, you know, that's, I, you know, that's poverty. That's poverty. Um, and, and we should be angry that all our government is doing is clapping for us when, you know, it's unacceptable, you know, we, we need to turn that anger into action. Um, and via, we need, we need vehicles to do that. And that's the trade union. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you touched on a PPE supply there in, in care home, which uh, I mean, I, I've had some um, terrible, uh, ter terrible stories. And one, one story like was, um, it really struck me. Um, and I hope the person who, who mentioned it doesn't mind me mentioning it, uh, you know, but, um, but it, it struck me like emotionally because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But um, we, we've been providing some face visors to uh, care homes. We've uh, sort of we've managed to find somebody who's donating them to us, and we're donating them to care homes. And um, but one of the homes has said that they've got people walking around with hair bands and poly pockets over their face. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I was just. It, uh, oh, it just hit it hit me like because it was just like people are. I mean, imagine. I mean, not only being the person wearing it, but the person who's being cared for. You know, uh, they're you know they're having care provided for them, and you know, and you know, just to see a lack of resource like that, you know, where it's just a ridiculous, um, you know, sort of painful thing to hear. What what has been your experience? You know, obviously you've you've got a huge network of care workers as part of your union. What what have, what has been the you know sort of the what have you heard? What is it? You know, have things have they are things getting better? Is the supply catching up with the the demand? Or I think it's quite difficult to make those generalisations mm. uh, because you know uh, each because another thing about social care is it's so atomized, right? It's so fragmented. Mm. How can you get a kind of broad understanding? of a sector which is in the private sector in the public sector and in the third sector yeah. you know so i see one lens of it and the third sector the charity sector is actually far better organized and you know historically historically and i say historically better paid um than the uh private sector now i've been on calls with carers uh, similar to yourself who have just i've just heard horror stories and i just thought you know what your life matters like um no matter you know we can kind of gasp and take um you know be shocked but their lives matter and they've been given one mask to go around to different uh so they're home carers or community carers so going into different homes with the same mask it's like that's disgraceful and disgusting and you have no you, you, that that person's life is just cannon fodder and these, are, and, these are, um, and these are material masks often as well. They're not even the proper respiratory masks. You know, that's the, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And we can see that, you know, this lack of PPE, you know, care, ho uh, care um, workers are dying at a higher rate than health workers. And that's because the PPE, lack of PPE, but also lack of training to put it on, yeah. you know, so lots of people work with people with learning disabilities uh, in mental health services. We, you know, don't wear PPE. You know, we have a very different relation to PPE. But now the people that we care for are so vulnerable to this because of you know um underlying conditions etc you know it's it's work that we've never done and i don't know if all employers have responded quick enough to how do you use this what this is what you do this is how many you have and also like responding to opaque um government guidelines which are ever changing as well we haven't had a clear this is the way this is what we're doing from the start no. you know it's been like oh oh no now you have to do this because we've got some more masks it feels like the policy has responded to the supply uh chain as opposed to best practice and so it's been uh, it's very uh, and I, I appreciate the struggles no one can i say that no one can foresee that, that no one could foresee this coming, but you would like to think as um, as as a you know sort of the fifth largest uh, you know sort of economy in the world and stuff like that. There would be some kind of preparation, you know, a, a contingency plan, a a, a, supp a larger supply of PPE, so that we would be able to survive, um, sort of maybe for a longer period than what we have without without having you know really adequate supply chains. So that you know, there's been um absolutely yeah, I don't know if you saw the uh, article that Channel 4 exposed, just like showing what percentage of the stockpile of PPE, which is supposed to be for pandemics, was out of date when they issued it. That's another thing that has been, um, you know, highlighted from our members and across unions, you know, being provided with care masks that are four years, uh, face masks, which are four years out of date. Yeah. You know, that's how much they value you. Yeah, 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 and and we've always the first thing that you do with PPE, right? Check the date. Yeah, yeah but not now, not now. No, just, use it. Uh, just, just use it. Just use it because it's an emergency. It'll be, you know, it'll be okay. And it's like, well, do you know what? They put that date on there for a reason. You know, there's yeah. a there's a, there's something there's something not quite right there. Um, but yeah, um, so a, a, another big concern that uh, I have, which I you know sort of I, I don't know how much you've sort of looked at, um, but you know it's a uh, it's sort of big business and sort of um private equity firms in care um so i mean like they're buying they're, they're buying failing care providers or considered to be failing care providers ones that are losing money and then try and sort of repackage them rebrand them and sell them for a profit um you know and very often they're stripping the the bare bones out of the home whilst they're doing it making sure minimum pay you know stuff stuff like that um this is which is having a negative impact on like the care delivery and just you know, sort of the employment experience for the carers it was, and given us more negative media attention, which is not something that we need right now. Um, what, what, what has been, do you think, or what, or what can we do as a collective to sort of shine a light on that, to sort of try and build awareness and bring around the change? Again, I think that, you know, um, a collective voice is really important going to those structures of where we do have a collective voice to yeah. amplify that i think i mean in my opinion there should be no profit in care mm -hmm. you know i think it should be a public service extended to everyone yeah. uh, i think that you know we need i mean i uh, i think that we need to bring all care 
back into um, public ownership, which is democratically controlled, which has high, which has good wages, good terms and conditions. Um, and I think that care should be available to everyone, like the NHS is available to everyone. You know, people struggle their whole lives in employment and then get like hit by astronomical care bills you know at the last bit of their life so it's just like you know is this right we need a reevaluation and just uh, to have a have a wider conversation about what you know support services and care services look like um and it's not an easy uh, a question to answer no. um I think that, you know, there are some really forward thinking models out there. Um, so, for example, the Care Cooperative in Calder Valley, uh, which has a co-op model. So the people who use services, the uh, trustees and the workers all have an equal voice in the way that care is provided. And, you know, we know that care is a lot about um you know people being empowered and there's nothing more empowering than using your own money um and having your own say in the care that you're provided um so i i, I mean i think it's a difficult question i think yeah. that you know we need to shine a light definitely on these fat cats who are just absolutely destroying the sector, destroying terms and conditions with no care other than their money in the Cayman Islands. That's one question, but how care is delivered in the future, almost, it's more, it's, it's harder to envision a, uh, a, a, a different future because, you know, a lot of people are advocating for a national care service, which, you know, half of me is just like, yeah, I kind of get that. I think that, you know, having set standards, you know, good terms and conditions, it being free, you know, but there's, there's pros and cons of it, each approach. And I think, you know, um, whilst highlighting the terribleness of the care sector and like what private sector are doing to care, but also envisioning something different. I think that both those things have to happen at the same time. Yeah, I mean, because I think there's, I mean, for me, pro private business, it's all of, uh, you know, sort of like known, you know, so it's, uh, it's difficult for me to imagine. I've not looked into what it would mean for a social, for, you know, social care to be sort of taken over by the public. And that would be, that'd be an interesting thing to look at. I'd, lo I'd love to sort of, if you've got any information on that, I'd be interested in that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I know a lot of sort of care home managers who they run their own very small care home and they do an immense job. It's, it's, you know, sort of, it's the big corporate, care isn't corporate. And I think that's what it is. I think it's the, you know, sort of there's small home care providers who I know are just passionate care workers who, who've, who've done something who, who, or trying to do something positive. Um, but, you know, yeah. there's the big, you know, the, the ones that really get me are the big equity companies who their whole thing is to flip um and make money and that's uh and that and it just it's just unbelievable that that's even allowed in care and that that's not stopped um but um absolutely i don't know if you saw just i think it was the day before yesterday a care home in uh london um due to inflation inflated uh wages uh like staffing costs and inflated ppe costs are actually closing the care home um because um they can't staff it and they can't afford to staff it so that's my concern about you know i do agree with you there are some small private providers who do it for the right reasons but now that small private provider has gone under during the pandemic they are rehoming people 
uh, in June uh, during the middle of the pandemic. Now, there's like 93 four-year-olds. That's a death sentence. You know, and I think that, you know, at the moment when when we're seeing these private uh, homes, no matter how well run, go go bust. Yeah. Like, I think this is where local authorities and the government have got to step in and say that's coming back in house because, you know, those those residents lives matter and we won't be moving them in a pandemic at all. <laughs> you no, know, yeah. um, Oh, it's, uh, it's that's, that's, that's such a scary, you know, that, that's, that's the scary thing is that, that if, 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 if um, care, home, uh, care providers are not supported, then that's liable to happen a lot more because care providers are already struggling well before this. You know, they, 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 they you know, they, there's been homes, uh, you know, sort of that, you know, were within, you know, sort of trusts and stuff, which they've just had to say, I'm sorry, it's just not viable anymore. And that was, that was last year, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, and yeah. so it's, it's terrifying to think wh where things could be unless that some, yeah. some real action is taken. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And you know what, I think you made a really good point because, you know, this pandemic has, you know, uh, exacerbated and highlighted the crisis in social care. Yeah. which has been going on for years you know we've lived through 10 years of austerity you know we've had pay freezes but also the funding is not there it's not enough if right. you want good care you need to pay for it and you know so that that's a local authority level but also that's got to come from national government and i absolutely hear you that um that it's, it's been a struggle before the pandemic yeah. and this is this is like the nail in the coffin or the bad analogy but like you know <laughs> Um, just on the on the um, zero hour because I know we already spoke about it, so I, I, I'm not going to ask the same question again. But there was a point that was made where I, I'm just uh, where I I want to make sure that people know, like if you're PAYE and you're on zero hour contracts, mm. you should still be getting a pension. You should still be getting holiday pay. Like mm. you, these are these are. I'm very confident that these are. If you're PAYE, you have to be paid a pension. You have to be receiving now, whether they are or are not. I know that people are, you know, sort of some people, they, um, they employ people on uh, limited, they try to make you be like a limited company or they'll try and put, get you to go through like a, um, like an umbrella company. So like the company that you're, mm -hmm. the company that's paying you is not the company you're working for. And that's how they try and get, there's, you need to look into these things. If you're under our contracts, you're hundred percent, you should be getting holiday pay hundred percent. You should be getting pension. I know that, you know, uh, yeah, I mean that's been my experience of um, sort of a, is it of working on zero hour contracts. Um, yeah, so I definitely think about holiday pay. Normally, do what they do is top up your wage, don't they? Their hourly wage to reflect holiday they're not, pay. They're not, they're not allowed. They're not allowed to do that. So that's um, uh, I, I forget what that's called. But some, but I know that there's providers out there, care providers, that will say, "Oh, we're paying you ten pounds an hour, but this percentage of it is um, holiday pay. It's called rolled up pay." So you're not allowed. That's that's against the law. You're not allowed to. So you, if you're paid ten pounds an hour, they should be adding on holiday pay on top of that. They can't say, "Oh, yes. we've paid you ten pound an hour, and and that includes your holiday pay." That's against the law. It's called rolled up pay, mm -hmm. and they should be paying that holiday pay separate, so that you've yeah. got a, a pot of money Perfect. available to you for when you take your annual leave. You know, so uh, yeah. Uh, that's an important thing just to get no but like no so it's just to get that message across because it's important that care workers know that because i experience people who you know like i said i've worked as agencies uh, in lots of different capacities and um and i speak to you know care workers from different agencies all the time and these stories i hear you know are very um 
frustrating and you know I, I make it my business to under to 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 educate people about what their it what that how things should work because yes working on a zero hour contract do, do you know what like but i worked as an agency carer for a, for a long time and so you know i know i had the weeks where sorry adam uh you know i always watched 40 hours sorry adam i've only got 20 hours this week you know um you know and that was so that you know that but but at the same time i liked the flexibility of being able to say no when i wanted to and it's, yeah. it's, and you know so but you know but it isn't it isn't for 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 everyone but you know holiday pay and pensions you must you you i'm i'm not 100 sure with the pensions that they're statutory but the holiday pay certainly is you shouldn't mm. be getting rolled up pay but um but yeah that's just for any listeners out there that might be you know sort of like get if they get a holiday pay rolled up then that Get that to stop now. Make that, make that It'll number one. You, Adam. Yeah. You. Make that number number one agenda on the union on the you on your first day as a union member. Make that yeah. your number one because uh, that's the easiest one to win. You only need to go and Google and Google rolled up pay and that's it and just show them it's illegal. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Um, well, you sound like a very good rep. You know, I'm, I'm recruiting you. By the end of this, <laughs> you'll have a card. <laughs> so um, you're you're representing a, a new group um, called Care Workers C19 Action Group. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, uh, what's keeping me busy is I'm working with a group of um, lay um, trade unionists from different unions because, you know, I, I'm in Unite, but there's other unions who cover our sector, all great in their own uh, ways. So we're getting together and we have come up with a list of six demands um, of the way that, you know, we think that the care sector should be provided moving forward. And I think that the six demands are broad enough to encourage um, further conversation, but also setting a standard of not just the living wage, but what carers actually deserve. Because, um, as I said, for years we've been exploited. So now is the time where we are being seen for the worth and the value that we deserve, that we make sure that um, things change because things need to change. So um, I've been working with um, all sorts of carers. So carers from uh, residential supported accommodation, from rehabs, from community carers, domiciliary care workers, end of life carers. So we've all come together to try and find a common narrative. You know, what keeps us together? What, what, what makes, you know, what are our joint concerns? And so we've come up with six uh, points around what we want to organise around and what we want to push for. Um, so the first is full sick pay. During the COVID-19 crisis, you know, everyone should have full sick pay if they're self-isolating. Now, Unison have done some great work in the Northwest in um, Salford Council, where, you know, Unison has gone to the council and said, this should be the case. You know, you can't have your workers going in and not getting paid, etc. And they won. Yeah, so Salford Council is now giving every care worker, you know, sick pay during um, the COVID-19 struggle. Uh, I think the Wirral as well so like there's some real key uh, councils in the northwest where you know unions have won so we need to you know continue with that demand um and you know have that filter through to the whole of the country um, our second demand is around ppe and testing um you know 
we've discussed PPE, we need to be discussing testing more, going into work anxious that you're asymptomatic is terrifying. Also, absolutely a death sentence for, you know, some of the people that we care for. You know, we need to be tracking, tracing, um, and, and testing. Um, we also, in that demand, we want want to talk about uniforms we've heard from people that some people are expected to buy their own uniforms which yep. is outrageous um and so um we want you know the care providers to provide uniforms and full recognized training um no zero hour contracts we feel that zero hour contracts um you know um do stop you from getting certain employment rights um and we think that you know you should have be able to rely even if it's short-term contracts or you know um 16 hours a week so you would still be entitled to uh, universal credit etc um but you know even in 16 hours a week you know at least you have some security and you know you can pay your bills um proper pay and this is something that we've been discussing decent pay um where we can not just survive but we can live um so we're advocating for a 15 pounds an hour um minimum wage in care across the board um because that's the value of our labor and that's what we deserve and that's what we should be fighting for a real living wage as you've said is one one percent above poverty oh was that sorry uh yeah you know one percent so, above relative poverty yeah absolutely that's not enough you know we don't deserve to be in poverty we do the most important work and and you know we'll fight for it so 15 pounds an hour that's what we're going for next point is around whistleblowers um, and the importance of whistleblowing in this current climate, you know, um, people openly talking about the lack of PPE in their service is really important. They need to be supported by our communities because those are the people who are, you know, actually sticking out for the most vulnerable. And, you know, those people have got to be protected by us. They need to be reinstated and compensated if they have been sacked for, um, you know, uh, highlighting unsafe working conditions um, I don't know if you've heard of the MP Nadia Whittam yeah. Um, she yeah and so you know uh, she went back to care MP who went back to care but then was on a zero-hour contract and they said actually Nadia you know um, uh, is it Nadia or Naomi I think it's Nadia I think it's I Nadia, think it's Nadia. Um, it, uh, yeah and she went back to care and then they said actually you're, you're talking too openly about PPE. This is making us uncomfortable. We don't need your services, which is a, which is an issue for zero hour workers, right? So you yeah. don't have a contract. You can't fight that for, um, so there's no, there's no ways to challenge that decision. But so she's been a real advocate for whistleblowers and, you know, more MPs like her, you know, she comes from, she understands care and she's, you know, protecting um, those who are speaking up for demanding safe work and, uh, workplace conditions so um kudos basically yeah. and the final uh, demand that we all can kind of get around is um social care being brought under democratic public ownership mm -hmm. um so that's uh, ensuring that the community has uh, a kind of democratic structure um but it is provided by public funds so, you know, it needs to be democratic. We need to have a say in the way that care is run. But, you know, care should be paid like the NHS. Uh, it's absolutely necessary through public money. 
Um, so, you know, there is a debate about what that looks like exactly. If that's through funded through the NHS, through procured services via the integration of health and social care, uh, or if that is uh, completely in-house provided by councils. You know, there is a spectrum of what that means. Um, and I think different people will interpret that differently, but that's okay. Um, as long as we know it's coming from public funds and we have a say in the way that care is provided, that's something that we can work together build on and fight for that sounds i mean great i mean it would be interesting to look into that last one further because i think it's it's an interesting concept is it would it run sort of similar to the nhs do you think in the sense that yeah you know i mean like uh, possibly yeah possibly yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. Hey? So, so, um, a lot of people are advocating for a national care service Yep. So something which would be uh, run along like uh, parallel to the mm. NHS. Some people think it would be better to be integrated into the NHS. And yep. so like kind of sit in that impasse and uh, then maybe workers would be on the same rate as the agenda for change with the NHS yeah. rates. Um, there's, and you know, and there's different ways, basically. Yeah. Uh, some people think the money should just be given back to local authorities so then they can decide Manage how it. to provide the care. Mm. Um, so, that, again, that's a debate uh, yeah. that we need to have out with. I, yeah, I think it would be interesting to see how that would be funded because obviously, you know, sort of, uh, that was great news to hear about sort of the, there was a huge debt wiped off of the NHS, but it would be interesting. Obviously, there was a huge pressure on them financially it'd be interesting to see how that would be managed and how you know how it would be funded you know because i think there's yeah. a you know but it, I, I i think it's very very interesting it'd be something to, yeah. to certainly look at yeah well in australia for example mm. there is a tax especially for um social care yeah. and people you know go I know exactly where that money is going for. I know that that's going to protect me when I'm old. I know that that money is going to protect my auntie, protect my uncle, you know, um, we'll pay that additional because yeah. not all tax is bad, right? Uh, we need to be making the arguments that actually, you know, if we all pay in, we all benefit. And so I think um, there's, and also we need a better, the, we need a better um, kind of tax system um to make sure that people are paying the right tax you know yeah. and you know the ones at the top earning the most benefiting from our labor are also um paying their fair share Absolutely. so i think the money's there the money's there yeah the, the, it could definitely happen it's just you know there's just to be a lot of small victories to get there first that's all there is <laughs> yeah, so but uh, but yeah uh, thank you so much, Alison. I really appreciate you taking the time today to come and speak to me. Like, I, I think we'd have, I think hopefully we've all learned a lot about uh, what what it is to be in a union and actually the benefits and and you know what what we could do. Where, where can people sort of find more information about their local union? What's the uh, okay, so uh, in social care, the main three unions that cover social care are Unite, Unison and GMB. Now, there's pros and cons to different unions. There's different rates uh, of unions. There's kind of different structures. But what I would say to any worker, if you have a formal recognition agreement in your workplace, so if there is already a... Um, 
agreement with management so say unison has an agreement in your care home with um management join that union because a union really is your you and your colleagues coming together so if that structure is already in place join that change it if you want to have your opinion have your say but that's how we that's how we um fight back you know it's it's very easy to get well this union does this and this union does this the union is the workers and what you do and what you put into the union and the union structures are there to support your fight back so um and all of it's online have a little google yeah that's great. Thank you, Alison. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I know that I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope that you got an awful lot out of it as well. Um, so, yeah, have a look into um, what Alison's got going on over there with the uh, Action for Care for Care Workers group. And also um, check us out on uh, our previous conversations with uh, in terms of zero hour contracts and national living wage on, um, on, previous, on my previous podcasts. Uh, and yeah, like and subscribe to those and check us out on Facebook. We've also got a website at Unappreciated care.co.uk which has got lots of written uh, content so that you've got that available to you as and when you need it so yeah let us know if you enjoyed it and thanks again <laughs>